Hello, and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What's up, Toby? Man, I'm feeling good. It is October. Yeah. And I have a short sleeve shirt on right now. Because it's 92 degrees. In October. Mm -hmm. In In Cleveland. Cleveland. (laughs) Right. You know what else is good? What's up? Eric came in early and plugged in my headphones. What? So I I don't have to feel like a jackass, which may be a little prelude to where we're going, a little foreshadowing. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Well, together on the show, we listen to the legendary tracks in the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs that they sampled from. Tobe, what are we listening to today? We are listening to Jackass by Beck off his 1996 Old Delay album. Well, I'm looking forward to spending some time diving into Beck's repertoire. He's an artist I was honestly not super familiar with before this episode, other than, I mean, he's clearly a loser. Okay, okay, calm down, calm down. Before we start with all the name calling, why don't we hop in the DeLorean and see what track was sampled to make this hit? Rewind! like a direct sample, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so here, I'm going to take this. Right here, and just plop it in. You'll think we'll last. All right, Tom. Can you tell the good people what we are listening to? Well, this is a track called It's All Over Now, Baby Blue by a band called Them. Now, have you heard of them? Who? Them. I know. I'm sorry. I think I missed who you were talking about. Who is Who is Them? That's the name of the band, Joe. Oh, okay. Let me guess. Like third base, right? Okay. Before this gets all <laughs> Abbott and Costello, right. and they start rolling over in their graves, let's talk a little bit about the band, them, and in particular, a certain member by the name of Van Morrison. Now, I know you're a big fan of Van and pumped to get into this episode. I'm, so, I'm excited to learn more about Van. I'm Van's sure the, the listeners man, are too. Van, right? Van is the man. Well, I also want to give a shout-out to show listener Diane, who is a huge fan of Van Morrison. She's actually got a great story about seeing him at a bar in Scotland Hmm. in the early 80s. Okay. So apparently he walks in, and the locals just, you know, pay him no mind. But it's Van, and he did a nice cover of Elvis's Can't Help Falling in Love. So that's just a cool cool story. That is cool. So thanks for listening, Diane, and we're happy to bring this episode to you and all the other Van fans out there. Let's dig into our first feature track. It's all over now, Baby Blue. This track has a pretty storied history. Yeah, it sure does. It was written by Bob Dylan, and it first appeared on his 1965 album, Bringing It All Back Home. Let's hear his original version. The empty-handed painter from your street is drawing crazy patterns on your sheets. One thing about Dylan mm. is you can't mistake that voice. You can't. Okay, Tom, I gotta ask. Hit me. Are you a Dylan fan? Because, look, I, I we probably should do an episode on him. He's, he's an icon. I can't say I've ever been a fan. I know I'm gonna get backlash on social, but I, I truly do not understand the fascination with his nasal line. I think he's a great songwriter, but I really only like people who do his tunes. I don't like his version of them. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so Bob Dylan fan, no, not so much. I know that lyrically, you know, he lyrically, is praised yeah, and, uh, for, for good reason. As far as a nasal wine, I don't think his nasal wine has 
anything on Keith Sweat. I think Keith Sweat's <laughs> nasal whine, you know. Why? Why me, baby? Exactly. Why, Keith? Why? Why? Exactly. So, ah, okay. Yeah. Two artists I wouldn't have put together, but, but thank you for that. <laughs> Only on Riffs and Riffs. Only on, Only riffs, on, on riffs. riffs and Riffs. That's it. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about them. First, that band name was taken from a 1954 sci-fi classic they gave us giant nuclear-created ants in the deserts of New Mexico. So this movie is one of the early classics of the genre and also has a cameo by a young Leonard Nimoy mm-hmm. long before he became Spock. Yeah, so there's another cool story about this movie. Apparently, Walt Disney, like the Walt Disney, goes in into the theaters in order to confirm James Arness is the guy who would go on to play Davy Crockett. Davy, wow, Davy Crockett. I love it. Man. I was not expecting that either. <laughs> Well, instead, he was so impressed with Fess Parker that Fess actually got the part. So I, I don't feel too bad for, for Arnest, though. See, he went on to play the legendary role of Matt Dillon in Gunsmoke for yeah. like 20 years. Yeah. So I, I think everything kind of worked out. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, you know what else is crazy here? I actually, believe it or not, I saw the movie Them like randomly a couple months ago. Did you? Randomly. Uh, ran- I swear. Like, randomly. So no, like my dad has actually been having health problems. We've spent some time together in hospitals. He loves his old westerns and the classic movies. So this just happened to be on. We watched it recently together. And actually, if you can suspend disbelief regarding all, like, the 50s-era special effects, it's, it's pretty good. Okay, I'm, uh, I give you that, partner. I give you that. Give you props for uh, spending time with Pops and watching something that you haven't seen before. That's, that's good. So let's get back to the band Them. So Van Morrison was looking to get a band together for a standing gig at a new R&B club that was opening at the Maritime Hotel in Belfast. Yeah, Van had left his previous band, the Golden Eagles, and he plucked the members from another band called the Gamblers, which included a young piano player by the name of Eric Rickson, who suggested the new band name. Okay, so the band names I've heard so far, not not impressed, okay. right? The Gamblers, yeah. not, not the really Eagles. feel, go, right, and them, to, them. to honestly, mm. it, I'm not really feeling it. But Rickson later on went on to be a founding member of the band Thin Lizzy. Another band out of Ireland that would have an enormous musical legacy. Rickson only played on their debut track, The Farmer. Let's take a listen to that. You see, Ma, she's passed away. And there's not much I can say. Except to like you all the pray. So, I have a hard time listening to this track right now because they, they named the band after a woman with, with an eating disorder. I just think that that's, that's Thin not, Lizzy. It's not, that's, not, that. that's not what it is. It sounds so, like, what is it? Isn't Thin Lizzy, wasn't that a, uh, like a, I could totally be making this up. This might be a torture device. Oh, Which is even worse. That is, that is I don't a know. whole lot worse. I could that be completely wrong on that. Well, so. listeners, get back at us. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Well, there's another connection to Bob Dylan, at least. His backing band from 65 to 67, the band, they went on to their own commercial success. So what was the name of the band? You never never really said it. You know Jules is going to have a problem with that. You got to say the, say the name of the band. Yeah, that's right. What's right? Is it them again? No, or? it's the band. All right, here, here we go again. So it's not them, it's the band? Yeah, like, you know, Levon Helm, Robbie Robertson, Richard Manuel, Rich Danko, Garth Hudson, you know those cats. The band. Oh, you mean the band. Yes. The band. Yeah. I'm with you now. Please continue. All right, well, I just thought that Thin Lizzy's debut tune, The Farmer, sounds a lot like the band's 1969 hit, 
up on Cripple Creek. The farmer, the band, them. Can we get any more vague in this episode? No. Well, maybe. Stay tuned. <laughs> Let's take a listen. Good luck had just on me to the racetrack I did go. She bet on one horse to win and I bet on another to It's got a nice groove to it. Yeah, of course. It's got to play. All right, well, getting back to Thin Lizzy, we should probably do an episode on them at some point. You mentioned their legacy from their pioneering use of dual lead guitars and that influence on bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Metallica and Alice in Chains and a bazillion others. Mm. Plus uh, Phil Lynette's influence as the first black Irishman to become a rock superstar. So for now, let's get back to them. So their live shows at the Maritime were largely spontaneous and ad-libbed with Vans stretching out songs like Gloria for, for 20 minutes on some nights. Yeah, and those performances got the attention of Decca Records, who took the band to England for the, not the band, who took them to <laughs> England for their first recording session. They laid down a two-and-a-half-minute version of Gloria and released it in 1964. Let's give that a spin. Let's do it. And the name is G. Ow. Gotta spell it out for me. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Hold that on. That's all right. Man, I'm cutting loose a little bit. I, I will cut loose a little bit as well, because this version actually reached number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100, but it was a cover by the Chicago band The Shadows of Night the following year that charted in top 10. Let's hear that. I can hear the letters better on this version. (laughs) 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 Makes all the difference. Actually, I don't, I mean, you know, especially compared with Van, it's like a little slower, it's a little less, you know, I don't know. He wanted, it was, it's called enunciation, Joe. That's what it's called, (laughs) enunciation. Diction. (laughs) So apparently the song lyric, she comes to my room, was a little too risque for radio stations. So they would play this Shadows of Night, which, by the way, is K'Night, with a K. Oh. Yeah, right? A little... I've never heard it that way. Go ahead. I like it. Shadows of Night version instead, since it it changed that lyric to She Calls Out My Name. Apparently, that's less offensive. That's that's better, right? It's better. Okay, okay. So, Them had another hit in 1965 with the song Here Comes the Night. This was written by Burt Burns, who also wrote the classic Twist and Shout. Well, Burt Burns wrote another tune that I know is dear to your heart, my friend. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready, man. Always. O-H-I-O! All right. Well, Burt co-wrote Hang On Sloopy, which was first recorded by The Vibrations, but became a number one smash hit in 1965 for the McCoys. Let's hear that. Sloopy, I don't care what you Never a bad time. Are we gonna start spelling for this one too? (laughs) All right, well, now let's hear Here Comes the Night, which charted at number 24 in the US and number two in the UK for them. His arms around her like it used to be with me. Makes me want to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here it comes. I like that change. Mm-hmm. 
sugar, sugar, doo, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a million songs, right? Right. So, you know, there was a cat that played guitar on this track, but I heard his playing was, wasn't good. It was for the birds and went over like a lead balloon. Really? Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I see what you did there. Like little, that? Little shout out to Jimmy Page, who, of course, went on to superstardom with the Yardbirds and a band called Led Zeppelin you might have heard of. Yes! Them also started to gain popularity in the U.S. and became part of the British invasion. They would headline a residency at the Whiskey A Go Go in L.A. and even had a band called The Doors open for okay. them. Okay, um, right. seriously, you know that's it. I'm, I'm. You know what? I'm throwing the in doors the towel. open for them. Yeah, <laughs> the doors open for them. You sure. Get that? Oh, God, right. The door is open for them. <laughs> Who are they opening for? Them. Oh, I get it. It's yeah. all clear now. Uh huh. It's terrible. Yeah, that's it. I'm out. Throwing in the towel. In fact. <laughs> You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name my next band The Towel. Is that right? Yeah, because if we can have them, and we can have the doors opening for them, and we can have, like, the band and the farmer, then The Towel should be just fine. It'll be a big hit. You know what? If we do that, right, then you can finish each set with, Good night, folks. That's a wrap. Oh, boy. You could do that. I could. That, that could work. I'm going to make that happen, actually. <laughs> well, speaking of raps, them fell prey. See, more bad grammar. <laughs> them fell prey to the, to the money disagreements that plague many bands, right? Everybody starts fighting about it. Were they any clear samples? <laughs> but that's probably, yeah. Well, Van left to return home to Belfast while the rest of the band actually remained in America. So this is where Burt Burns makes another appearance. And this time, it seems a little bit more nefarious. Uh-oh. Yeah, well, in 1967, Burt persuaded Van to come back to New York and record with me as a solo artist for my new label, Bang Records, right? They recorded for a couple of days, and Van signed a contract that he didn't really look at first. So that's never a good idea. No. Okay. First off, Burt released an album from those sessions without even telling Van. Then he released a little song called Brown Eyed Girl. Perhaps you've heard of it. Let's take a listen. Yeah, I don't know. Let me see. Oh, this oh, song. Oh, this brown eyed girl. <laughs> Man, listen. If you steal a song like this from me, boy, yeah. it's, it's a problem. Yep. Well, this song is obviously still a popular classic. Remains in the top 10 of the most requested songs of DJs everywhere. Van, however, said he's never seen a penny of the royalties for writing or recording this song. So the contract he signed was so bad that not only did he not get royalties, but he was also liable for the recording expenses. So he's paying to write that song. It, which is like you're paying for pain. Like you're paying, paying for pain. So he was liable for all the recording expenses from those Bang Record recordings. This is not the first and sadly probably not the last time a record company has had shady dealings with an artist. Yeah, well, that is unfortunately true. I also want to point out another fun connection. Although session player Hugh McCracken played most of the main licks in Brown Eyed Girl, one of the other guitarists to play on the track was Eric Gale, who would later go on to play in the band Stuff, which backed Joe Cocker for a time, and that harkens all the way back to our first Riffs episode. So Stuff might also be the motherload of generic band <laughs> names. This is, this is a problem, partner, right here. I see a trend. I'm not liking. We're not even going to bother to identify objects no. anymore. Yeah. It's just, just we just stuff. have stuff. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, you know what? I can make this even better for you. One of Stuff's most popular songs is a tune called "Foots." Wow. It's not feet. 
No, this it's is, This is like an English teacher's worst nightmare. <laughs> it's a great tune, though. Let's give it a listen. Talk about funky jam. Yeah, this is all right. Well, of course it's funky. It's about feet. <laughs> it's about foots. <laughs> foots, my bad. <laughs> Should have called it toe jam, my bad. <laughs> Van Morrison got a little revenge on Bang Records, though. Burt had passed away in 1967. So he passed away at a pretty young age, you said, yeah, right? Yeah, I think he was like mid-30s or something. Wow. And so Van was able to get Warner Brothers to buy out his Bang contract for 20000 But he still had to submit 36 songs to Burns <laughs> Publishing Company. 36 songs. Uh-huh. It would yeah. have been a whole lot of remixes oh, this to is Hot awesome. Cross well, Buns so right good. now. I can tell you, I can tell so you that. In order to, yeah, in order to fulfill this contract... Van went and recorded 31 songs Ooh, in one session. In one session. Making most of them up on the spot. Let's just say there's, okay, so there's songs like Blow in Your Nose. If that's not enough, there's another song called Nose in Your Blow. Wow. I, I, don't, I don't think they were meant to be chart toppers, though. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Blowing Your Nose. Well, you know what, though, with all the other songs and band names, that actually doesn't seem like too far off. It fits off. right in. Right. <laughs> So we also took swipes directly at Bang with songs like The Big Royalty Check. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. But my favorite is this little ditty, which I'm sure he made up on the spot and pretty much sums up the vibe for yeah, the Yeah, this is a one-taker right here. <laughs> wow. You should be freaky If you got this far We'll put you in a jar and sell you. <laughs> and sell you. As a freak. As a freak. <laughs> we think you're freaky. Two, two, three. And we're done. That's the song. <laughs> that's part of that's like it's like a minute song. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, that was something. <laughs> I wonder how much that album is on Amazon. I gotta know. They finally released it. Actually, they took all of those tracks and finally put it out. Because obviously, when his widow got the album, she was like, "No, no, no we're I'm not, not doing this." this. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back to some real music with Van's first album for Warner Brothers, Astral Weeks. Though this album didn't sell well at the time, it has come to be regarded as a classic, highly influential work that consistently shows up on best of all time lists. So let's take a listen to the title track to. Astral Weeks. I see a nice got clean clothes. I put down his little red shoes. I point a finger at me. Standing in my musicality in his music. Hit a flute in the background. Well, Van's commercial breakthrough came with his next album, the 1970 release, Moondance. For this album, Van moved away from the ethereal folk of Astral Weeks and towards more R&B pop songs. The Moondance album would peak at number 29 on the U.S. charts, even though the title track wasn't released as a single until seven years later. So let's hear Moondance. You know, I'm trying to please to the calling of your heartstrings. Love this song. Yeah, yeah. It's such a great album. You know, the night's magic seem to whisper and hush. You know, the soft moonlight seems to shine in your blush. Can I? 
Well, one of my all-time favorite tracks by any artist is actually the song Into the Mystic from that Moondance album. So let's play that one. And where that foghorn blows, I will be coming home. Yeah, mm. when the foghorn blows, I want to hear it. I don't have the fear. You know what's interesting? With this music is the way that they actually mix it. Yeah, you know, with it with the you know they the let the instruments have their space, right? Yeah, you can pick each one out, and it's yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. I mean, Listeners, it's, I, let me suggest this: listen to this song with a good pair of headphones. Mm-hmm. Do that, and I think uh, you're going to appreciate the song a little bit, a little bit more. Totally so, agree. Another classic track, "Crazy Love," has appeared on numerous movie soundtracks and has been covered by dozens of artists, including Aaron Neville, Brian McKnight. Rod Stewart and Michael Bublé. So right there, dude. Yeah. I feel like, like that's like my that's like a playlist, right? right? That, that's like, like you, you don't need you pick much voices more than that. that. You want to sing your stuff. That, I'm those, telling you, those cats would be on it. So let's hear Van's original version. She gave me love, 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 crazy love. She gave me love, 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 love. I didn't even know he did this originally. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Love. When I'm feeling low down. Yeah, when I come to her, when the sun goes down. You know what's cool? He's got such awesome grit in his voice. For him to dial it back and just be so soft on a song like this just kind of shows his range, you know? It's just crazy. <laughs> Love. I, yeah, stop it. Van has had such a long and prolific career. And his output has seemed to vacillate between, honestly, he's like, half of it's beloved and the other half is completely despised by the critics, but depending on the album. And since he's made 40, 40, 40 albums, there's a lot to weigh in on. So we could literally play Van Morrison songs all day, but let's finish with one of the most popular ballads from him. Have I told you lately from his 1989 album, Avalon Sunset? Yeah, this is a classic song, too. He's got so many. It should be that way, Joe, because if you did 40 albums, <laughs> there's got to be better, some good stuff in there somewhere. There better be a hit in there somewhere, man. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. 40? 40. 40. Well, great stuff. But as you say, it is time to move on to our second feature track that samples Van Morrison and them. Let's take another listen to Beck's song, Jackass. You say that with such reverence. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, as a producer, this right here is heavenly. That right there, this stretch, that's just begging to be sampled. Do you mean when you can take, you know, a five-time snippet of a song and not have to do anything other than lift it? (laughs) that's right. That's right. So we can get to some other stuff. I'm going to give Beck a little bit of credit because on this Odelay album, though, he actually actually replayed a lot of this stuff. So it wasn't they were just lifting it. They were, they were actually diving in and reusing it. So anyway, Tobe, why don't you tell the good people a little bit about Beck? Gladly. So Beck David Campbell was born on July 8th in 1970 in Los Angeles, California. Beck is a vocalist and a musician. He's an artist that I always struck me as being one that really didn't 
fit perfectly in a box or, or genre, like specifically. No, I'm with you. And you know what? We're all products of our environment. And to say that Beck has a diverse background is an understatement. His father was a composer and a conductor, and his mother was a visual artist. And that, combined with the fact that he lived in L.A., really influenced his perspective on music, I think. So he became a street musician and largely focused on folk music until he was exposed to the music made by this man. Baseline's disgusting. Do you know what I learned today doing doing some research for this? So Doug Wimbish is the guy who's playing bass on this, who's uh, who, I, who actually is bassist for Living Color now. I didn't realize he was like the the studio guy for all those Sugar Hill records. So is that right? It's just like there's so many crazy connections. All this stuff, man. I know. I know. All right, well, that track was White Lines by the one and the only Grandmaster Flash. The interesting thing is that while Grandmaster Flash is credited for this track, he really didn't have much to do with the song. But back in the day, DJs were the stars of the show for hip-hop groups. That voice was actually Melly Mel. What's also interesting is that White Lines is also a song about the, the trappings of cocaine and drugs as a whole. It's a problem that Flash actually suffered from himself. We've discussed Flash on a previous episode, but it's always nice to see how his influence is felt on both coasts. Mm-hmm. Well, getting back to Beck, his life as a teenager was a tough one. So much so that he dropped out of school after junior high. It's crazy. It wasn't that he didn't like school, he just felt unsafe there. So he managed to continue his education by using a fake ID to sit in on classes at the Los Angeles City College. Now, he was working menial jobs and, and busking on buses, playing covers of Mississippi John Hurt tunes like this one, Coffee Blues. My baby packed a suitcase and she went away. I couldn't let her stay for my loving, my loving spoonful. So this is one of the things that intrigues me about this guy, Yeah, right? Because here we are, influenced by Grandmaster Flash. He right. loves hip-hop. Yeah. You read about that. You do research. You find that out to be true. And then he likes this stuff. Loves like, the old blues stuff. Love the folk stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. And largely self-educated. Mm-hmm. Right? Very much so. Like life on the streets educated. Seriously. Well, after a stint in New York, Beck traveled back to L.A. and started performing at art houses. He would find interesting ways to keep the audiences engaged, to put it lightly, like making up <laughs> ridiculous songs on the spot just to see if people were listening. But I tell you what, he and Van would have gotten along just fine. So <laughs> so we find interesting ways. So back then, you know, you call it improv, right? That's hip-hop, right? In my mind, like, that's, a hit, that's freestyling, essentially, right? So, and, I, and I love that. That, that kind of made me even more intrigued to the kind of guy you that You got to get people into is. it. You got to play to the crowd. So his antics eventually caught the attention of some folks at BMG and the partners of a small independent label, Bong Load Custom Records. So in 1992, they hooked him up with a producer from Rap A Lot Records named Carl Stevenson. The resulting song was a track called Loser. Let's take a listen to that. song is so played. Oh, they played They played it, <laughs> played it to death in the video. Him walking down the street with that big old hat yep. on. <laughs> yep. So the funny thing about this track is that Beck thought the song was mediocre at best. But it got a lot of traction at radio stations and the bigger record labels. Loser reached number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart and... 
It charted in multiple countries. After a fierce battle between labels, Beck was signed to Geffen and released the album Mellow Gold on March 1st, 1994. Now, his contract allowed him to release some of his older tracks with indie labels, which included an album called Golden Feelings in March of 1994 and another called Stereopathic Soul Manure Ooh, in February 1994. Name. Right, so we're getting we, we went from them from to them. Soul Manure. <laughs> Man, I don't know which is worse. <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, 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 you know. Well, okay, his fourth album, One Foot in the Grave... Uh-oh. That's not good. It was comprised of earlier material that features his more sort of folksy sound. So let's listen to one of those tracks, I Get Lonesome. It's because you got one foot in the grave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what do you want? Nobody wants to hang around with that. Oh, no one wants that, buddy. Good Lord. Wow. He does have one foot in the grave. Oh, man. Somehow, I, I think that if we had hired Eric... To record this song, he would leave us. <laughs> He'd be like, no. <laughs> he would like, no, I'm not no, doing it. I'm not. Get out the studio. Put my Get foot out. down. Well, I, I try to have an open mind about music, but I'm not a fan of this song at all. In fact, no, really? <laughs> I would say that if you wanted to stay lonely, singing this song might be a very <laughs> good way to accomplish that. All jokes aside, we know that Beck's talented. So let's skip on to his next album, Old Delay, which contains our second feature track, Jackass. Well, Beck felt that his past albums were just collections of demos, you think? <laughs> because it doesn't sound like that at <laughs> all. And so he wanted to do something very different for Old Delay. It's like a continuation of Blow Your Nose, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this album combines a lot of genres, including blues, rap, jazz, and folk, all layered on top of each other. That's one thing that I really like about this period in sample music. You could really compose a song in a way that's still yeah, very you innovative. Take so many cool things and just slap them together. Well, Beck took inspiration from multiple sources for Odelay, including the 1966 album by them. Oh, jeez. <laughs> them again? Yes, that, that's it. That is the name of the album. Them again. Yeah, very creative. It was, it was not only the inspiration for our second feature track, Jackass, but also for another track called Devil's Haircut. First, let's hear the original Them track, Out of Sight. Papa's got a brand new bag here, huh? Yeah, we need more horns in music nowadays. I love it. So now let's hear how Beck used Out of Sight for Devil's Haircut. Yeah, I'm just going to chop it up, sneak it in with some other samples. Yep, yep. So the Odelay album took a year and a half to produce, and he had the help of the Dust Brothers, the production team behind Beastie Boys, fabulous album, Paul's Boutique. Together, they created an album that was nominated for Album of the Year in 1997 and also won Grammys for Best Alternative Music Album and Best Male Rock Vocal Performance for the song Where It's At. So this song contains nine samples. That just sounds like a lot of money to pay for one song. You, right? can, you can't do that nowadays. No, good so lord. Yeah. Nine samples, including drums from the 1966 Lee Dorsey hit, Get Out of My Life, uh, Woman. Of course. Get Out of, of My Life. See, now back in the day, you know, song titles were complete sentences, right? <laughs> Get Out of My Life, Woman. 
That's a complete sentence. That's that's all right. So those drums were the same ones used in Bismarcky's "Just a Friend." See, that's a fragment. "Just a Friend." See, fragment. Wow. We are so educational. I'm on saying. This show. I'm saying. My wife would be so proud of me right now. As well as Fat Joe's song called "Flow Joe." So let's take a listen to the drums. Was she a runner? Flojo, yes, yeah. yes, Flo- yes, Griffith, yes. Joiner, Thank whatever. you. Yeah. Good, very, very well done. Very well done. Let's take a listen to the drums from Lee Dorsey and how these other artists use them. Again, right? There's, you, you're yeah. taking that as a hip hop producer. You're yeah, taking that. Come on. Me no more. He's pretty clear, though. Mm. You know, the the message is clear. Let's get out. <laughs> He sounds sad, like he's he's like like on the floor asking, like, would you, please, would you go? Would you please go? Does he? <laughs> Does he? I don't know. You can go either way on that one. Well, now let's hear Fat Joe's Flow Joe. Say that one five times. <laughs> or not. This is from his first album. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, man, I was all about it. Him and the whole... Digging in the crates crew, man. The whole yeah. DITC, yeah. I was I used to go walk the campus with this. So now let's listen to how Beck used it and where it's at. Bottles and cans or just clap your hands or just clap your hands. Where it's at? I got A little heavier, a little grittier. Mm-hmm. Well, Beck has continued to produce material that runs the gamut of genres, including some deliciously crafted pop songs and collaborations. Let's take a listen to the song Night Running by Cage the Elephant. That's a band name, Cage the Elephant. That mm. gives you some visuals, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That features Beck off of their 2019 album Social Cues. Never got no money. Totally different style, right? It's cool. I love this track. Probably has a reflective material on when he's not really <laughs> concerned. He wants you to get hit by them. <laughs> and he's gone back to his loser roots and the use of his slide guitar in his latest single, Saw Lightning which features production by Pharrell. Now, this will be on Beck's upcoming album, Hyperspace. Let's hear that. Yeah. Artists that can actually, like, transcend... Genres, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. That's where you know talent's at. You know what I'm saying? For sure. I love that. You know, here's another thing just I thought of. Van was very good about putting musicians in a room and saying, hey, make this song your own, do what you want to do. And I feel like Beck is doing that as well. Like, even on this track, I, you can hear Pharrell on that. Like, that very much a Pharrell influence. So I feel like they kind of had that in common, too. For sure. All right, Todd. Well, we talked a little bit about Them's cover of It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and how it sounds like it sort of interpolates Stand By Me. But what do you say we dive into that a little bit more for our bonus material? Sounds good. Let's start with a little side-by-side comparison of the two. Please tell me you put together one of those mashups for us. I got your back, buddy. Have a listen. 
it. It's all over now, baby blue. Yeah. It'll stand by me. When the night mm. Sing has it, Benny. come. So there's clearly a connection here, but let's start at the beginning and the inspiration for that 1961 hit by Ben E. King, Stand By Me. As always, this has some pretty fascinating connections. Ben, can we say Ben? Do we have to call him Ben E? Do we, can we just call him Benny? Like Benny and the Jets? Benny. Sure. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, Benny has said that the song was inspired by the spiritual Stand By Me Father, and that was recorded by the Soul Stirrers. So let's take a listen to that one. see the I guess I'm not, I, just in the chorus there the stand well know, the stand but yeah, yeah. I, get, I get that part I was looking I'm I was looking for a bass line oh you know, I got gotcha. a bass line I wasn't feeling that I wasn't hearing that so so stand by me father was written by Sam Cook and J.W. Alexander and even though Sam was once a member of the Solsters he wasn't the lead singer on this track which is crazy yeah, well, he was already out of the band, so right, that's well, the only reason. Then there's that. But uh, we cannot pass up an opportunity to play some Sam's Cook. There we so go. So let's take a listen to one of his most powerful tracks, A Change Is Gonna Come, Ugh. off his 64 album, Ain't That Good News. Love this song. Ugh. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Have you done any research on this guy? Like his yeah, like had, his death oh is crazy. God. That was insane. I, yeah, it, it yeah. There's something something completely fishy and shady going yeah, on there for sure. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So Sam Cooke had left the Soul Stirs to start his solo career in 1957, and "Stand by Me, Father" was sung by Johnny Taylor. Well, Johnny would go on to a successful solo career of his own that saw him nominated for three Grammys, including this one in 1977. For Disco Lady. Mmm, can't wait to hear this one. Girl, you ought to be on TV. Mmm. You ought to be on Soul Train. There ain't no stop. Just can't help it. But I'm bringing a pop. Shake it up. Shake it down. He's talking about it. I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's referring hush, to. Okay, hush, hush. Sit down. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> so... So Stand By Me has been covered over 400 times, and Benny King's version hit the top 10 on Billboard's Hot 100 twice. It peaked at number 4 in 1961 and number 9 in 1986 after its inclusion in the movie Stand By Me that starred Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Kiefer Mm, Sutherland, and Richard Dreyfuss. It's a classic, right? That's a classic, yeah. Well, the Stand By Me track is a classic in its own right, as the chord progression in the song has been used so often in popular music that it's sometimes referred to as the Stand By Me progression Hmm. or the 50s progression. It's one of those things that fits like a warm blanket. Mm. Hearing it feels like, it just feels like home. It's like all warm and fuzzy. Like home. Well, let's take a listen to how Imagine Dragons shows us just how influential Stand By Me is even today. I'm so happy we get to talk about Imagine Dragons on the show. I I do love them. We should do an episode on them too. Let's. Oh, let's do it. All right. Well, this is actually a cover, a live cover, of Taylor Swift's Blank Space. Take a listen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll leave you breathless. Oh, with the nasty scar. See where this is going? 
Yeah. They'll tell you I'm insane. Wait for it. Space, when the night yep. is come. <laughs> oh, everybody was like, whoa, I see what you did there. And the moon. So I saw this, I saw this online. Oh, did you? Okay. And I loved it. I was it's like, awesome. go ahead, do it's that. Really do good. that, do that. Unfortunately, man, we are just about out of time. And we've covered so much in this episode, starting with our first feature track, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, as done by Van Morrison and them. Our second feature track was Jackass by Beck. Good stuff, as always. So what do we have lined up for our next episode? I'm not sure, man. I I keep forgetting. Uh Uh-oh. But I do know you can't be any geek off the street. Uh Uh-huh. You have to be handy on the mic and earn your keep. Well, if you know like I know, you don't you don't want to step to this. <laughs> I will be sure to bring my A game. Until then, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Rips on Rips. Huzzah! Keep listening. Rips on Rips is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Julie Fink. Audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.